Thank you so much, June, for leading us in our service. And thank you for the singers, Wilfred, and the musicians for leading us in our worship and song. We welcome all of you to the gathering of God's people. And it's always good as we gather to listen to God's Word. For those of us who are here in Singapore, uh, we just want to tell the world that we just had our general elections. And we trust that God is sovereign over all things. And so, we're still going through COVID around the world. And in one sense, we are so tired of this term COVID, pandemic, mass, sanitizers, reopening, um, second wave. And we ask, when is it going to end? Have you ever asked yourself, how is it affecting not just us as adults, but affecting our children? Their thoughts, their feelings, their fears, their joys through this time. And so there was a newspaper article recently, and I'm just going to show a few of this, and it's COVID-19 through the eyes of kids, our children, but not just kids, expressing themselves for the ones who are so inclined and gifted in Israel through their art, through their art pieces. So here's the first one, and it's by Jonas Ang, and we look carefully at it, for those uh, of you who are from overseas. He draws two, two tall things there. They're blocks of flats. And what was he trying to express? On April 25th, at 7.55 p.m., there was a movement to get as many of us as Singaporeans, residents, citizens here, to stand at our, to stand our balconies, to stand at our flats, and sing a song that resonates with all of us, a song called Home. And so he captured that. And for him, that was a high point, an emotional point, in which there was some purpose to this whole thing called COVID-19 that, that shut down life and changed life so drastically. So, eight-year-old Jonas Ang, next that appeared in the papers, was Phoenix, five years old. And he drew a bicycle. And why? Because for him, every day was a drudgery. But when he got his bicycle, that was the joy of his day in which he could go out, right, and just ride and feel that life had some normalcy and life had some meaning to it. So how many of you have children who, whose life has been reinvigorated because they went out to play, because they went out and, and rode a bike? And that's a wonderful thing. And then it goes on to Aaron. And Aaron here, 12, he put together newspaper cuttings from Chinese papers, English papers, and he put them all together and, and, and produced this wonderful piece of art. And it was for him to express, the, to represent, to symbolize the kind of confusion, the kind of stress that he was going through. And Aaron is actually one of the kids from our church, ARPC. And then the one that I think takes the icing on the cake. Joya Singh, what's her view of COVID-19? Her view of COVID-19, if you look hard on your screens, either on your phone or your laptop, on your television screen, right? She draws this thing called bubble tea, <laughs> boba tea, and gives them different names. And the different boba teas are to express her feelings at different times. And so there's worry boba tea. There is grumpy boba tea. There is happy boba tea. And there is one, if I see correctly, on the top right-hand side, there's evil boba tea. I do not know by that she means that bubble tea is evil or there is, there is a feeling called evil. I think she means more the second one. And so COVID-19, the thing that has struck three-quarters of the world, if not the whole world, affected its economy, affected our health, our public health. 
through the eyes of kids. Things that happen in this world do affect us, globally and personally, in our hearts, in our homes, in our relationships. Which leads us to ask a more important question on God's behalf. And what's the more important question on God's behalf? What's our view of Jesus? And what's our view of Jesus determines not just life on earth, but eternal life. Not whether we are going to get on with life here, but get on with God forever and ever. And so we are studying the book of Colossians, and we have now arrived at what we call the climax or the high point of this epistle. Four short chapters, but profound and powerful chapters. And in this portion, we're going to read most of the time in verses 15 to 20, and we'll see why. It's all about Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, the importance of Jesus, the distinctiveness of Jesus, the uniqueness of Jesus, the awesomeness of Jesus. And we actually should run short of adjectives to describe this portion, but more importantly, the adjectives to describe Jesus. And so the word that scholars have used through time is the supremacy of Jesus in all things. And second portion, supremacy of Jesus and us, the implications for us, especially as Gentiles who, who never heard of him until the right time for God's purpose to be revealed. And Jesus' supremacy over Paul the Apostle who brought the gospel to the Gentiles and indeed to all of us. The incomparable Jesus, the distinctive Jesus, the unique Jesus, the, the awesome Jesus. Why do we say so? In the pure and raw words in Scripture, 115, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So some unmistakable truths jump out at us. But to truly grasp this, we must read the entire epistle, just four chapters. It wouldn't take you more than 20 minutes or half an hour to read it aloud, verbally, to, to hear yourself audibly. And when you read it, as we said last week when we started this, there was in all likelihood a challenge to the true Word of God, to the true Gospel about the true Christ and true salvation in Him and through Him. And so some scholars call it a heresy. Some modern-day scholars say there was no heresy. But what we do know is by the time we arrive at chapter 2, there is confusion about what it means to be God's people. And at the heart of the confusion is they came along or there was teaching around that got them to be a little bit insecure that they started to sideline Jesus and belittle Jesus, sideline Jesus, belittle Jesus. Is that what you've done the last week? You began your breakfast and you carry on to lunch, you began your studies and you went on to work from home and you belittle Jesus, you sideline Jesus, you... The insecurity about Jesus and that kind of teaching was disconnecting them from Jesus as God's answer to humanity, God's answer to your problem and my problem. And we would call them a fake Christianity. Whatever it is, this is fatal, this is dangerous. And so in chapter 2, verse um, 16 to 23, you will read this. 
Do not let anyone who delights in false humility. And what? The worship of angels disqualify you. Please tune in next week to find out what this means. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And you, maybe the modern-day version is somebody comes along to you and say, I was taken in a vision to, to heaven. And when you hear that, you, you get all excited and you also feel small at the same time because he has had the experience, she has had the experience in this prayer cave in Korea, but you haven't had any experience at all. They have lost connection with the head. In the English Standard Version, they have loosened, they, are, they, are, they have let go of the importance of Jesus being the head of the, of the body, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Jesus is called the head of the church, his body, the people. And for Paul to say, we have let go Right? We have loosened our grip on this truth that Jesus is head of the church or we have lost connection with the head here in the NIV. Basically, it's his way of saying, once you lose connection with Jesus, the head of the body, once you lose connection with the Saviour as sinners, once you lose connection with this, it's the most frightening thing, you're not going to heaven. Because only one person can set you free from Satan, wash you free of of sin and make you the children of God and you want to hang loose with Jesus, you want to belittle him, you want to sideline him, you want to treat him as if he's not supreme, he's not awesome, that is fatal no matter how, the, how attractive the theology is. And so at the heart of that false teaching, if we call it a heresy, was that their false experiences, the worship of angels, their false worship, their false piety, do not handle, do not eat, do not taste, the things that they do to deny the body, to feel closer to God, all those things disconnect them from the work of Jesus. It focuses on what they must do to get right with God, not what Jesus has done perfectly to get us right with God. And friends, there's a huge difference because at the heart of Christianity, there is nothing we can do to get us right with God. All that is man-made philosophy and all that is man-made tradition and all that is man-made religion, as Paul will use that language in chapter 2. So if you live your Christian life disconnected from Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus, the uniqueness of Jesus, we are on thin ice. We are at the, at the cast of falling off the cliff and eternal danger. So Paul's remedy here, as we saw last week, is to make sure that we are falling in love with Jesus, who He is, what He has done, who He is, what He has done, again and again and again. So sometimes we minister to adults, sometimes we minister to children. And um, I remember this time I was speaking to this uh, one or two kids. They, they knew their parents were going through a hard time. So they also knew we were praying for them, Mona and myself were praying for them. And the kids say, my parents are so different now, I said. Um, I asked, in, in what way are they different? They, they're so different. From morning to night, they pray. They no longer quarrel. And we can see they love each other. We can see they love each other. So I asked them, so how, how, do you, how do you feel? We feel so happy. We feel so happy. There is nothing more assuring for children than to see their parents in love with each other. 
Five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, there is nothing more important than giving them not so much education, but the Christian education that the God that we believe in is a, lot, a God of covenant love and that covenant love, that steady love, that unbreakable love should be lived out in marriages and in homes. Falling in love with each other again and again should be a lifelong prayer. Falling in, in love with Jesus again should be our lifelong pursuit. And so, let me go back there. Week in, week out, whether we are meeting as physical church at, at a site or whether we're meeting digital, digitally, did you notice? We keep proclaiming here in Adam Road Presbyterian Church, day in, day out, and if you tune into us and follow us in different ways throughout the week, day in, day out, week in, week out, it's all about Jesus. That's all we want to do. Make you know Him, make you love Him, make you be connected and your life must never be like a runaway train decoupled from who He is and all that He has done for us and continues to do for us. How? By His Spirit, by His church, working as God's witnesses to a fallen world. So Jesus' supremacy in Paul's prayer and praise is what we read last week in chapter 1, the first part of it. He says he's a true apostle. He's, he's giving them the true Christian experience and the true Christian experience is Hey, faith in Christ, love for each other, faith in Christ, love from each other that flows from their hope in heaven, the untouchable, unshakable, invincible, invincible hope in heaven. And then the true Christian prayer and life is that we will know God's will is to save us in Christ, keep us holy in Christ, and then for the power to obey this will, to be on the move for Him because this gospel has come from Paul, to Epaphras, and from Epaphras to the Colossians, and from the Colossians, he will pray in chapter 4, this gospel should go to the ends of the earth. And wherever the gospel lands, it will bear fruit for God's glory. So this is a true apostle with, a, with true Christian experience of faith and love that springs from hope. And the tr true Christian prayer is that we'll live a life that is worthy of Him, pleasing in every good work, as we pray for power to endure so that as we are transferred from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of the Son He loves, this is the direction, this is the new highway of our life. And with that background, we understand it as such. So with Paul preaching to the Colossians, opening the Word of God, preaching the true gospel, whenever we preach the gospel, it rightly connects us to God and the supremacy of Jesus, the incomparability of Jesus. And that's true Christianity with the true experience and the true mission that all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit. And it was true then because all over the world, wherever it landed, from Laodicea to Colossae to Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamon, as we read in Revelation before this series, it is bearing fruit and now bearing and then bearing fruit in the home churches and now bearing fruit in our hearts. With all that background, by the time we come to Colossians 1, 15 to 20, we come to the heart of the gospel because it means, introduces the main spiritual truths that should grip your life and control your life and direct your life and my life from this point onwards. So it's a glorious hymn to the glorious Jesus Christ. If you ever run short of passages to go to, 
you must always run to Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Why? He's the image of the invisible God. We're going to unpack phrase by phrase as much as we can. The Greek here, <laughs> image, means revelation, right? Revelation. It's God's perfect nature revealed in Jesus. God, who is spirit, Father's Son and Holy Spirit in eternity past. God's perfect nature revealed in His Son. The Word became flesh at the point of human history. The invisible God, the holy God, the pure God, has become visible in the person and work of Jesus 2,000 years ago. And so the simple message is, no one reveals God better than Jesus. He's supreme in revealing the true and the living God. In Jesus' own life, he says this, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Have you ever made a statement like this? If you're an ambassador, right, for a country, and you meet an ambassador, if you have seen me, you've seen my president. If you've seen me, you've seen my prime minister. If you've seen me, I actually represent not just a prime minister or a president. You've seen me, you, you've seen the whole of Singapore. I represent my nation. I represent America. I, re I represent China. I represent... There is no more perfect representation of God than Jesus. And in that sense, it's a two-way thing when you understand this in all its majesty, that Jesus is not simply the perfect revelation of God, but He's also the perfect realization of who you and I are supposed to be, made in God's image. So Jesus is supreme in revelation. So I do not know what your understanding is of yourself. Maybe like the four kids through their art, they were trying to find their identity, they were trying to cope with their stresses, they are trying to find their joys. And I do not know, I use a technical word, how are you finding your identity? How are you finding your anthropology? Anthropology is the study, the science of the study of mankind and women. So you will not come to a true understanding of who you are as a boy, as a girl, you won't understand who you are as a man, as a woman, young or old, by walking through the zoo or walking through the museum. You do not go to the zoo and look at, uh, look at the primates and say, we came from them. We didn't. You do not walk through a museum and point to your kids, we came from them, and now it's a stuffed primate. You walk through, you do not watch Netflix you do not turn to ESPN. You do not watch rubbish on the net to find your identity and your destiny. The only place to find your anthropology, your identity and finally your purpose on earth and your destiny is by reading the Bible. That's why week by week, day by day, moment by moment, we never tire of opening the Bible to you and explaining that at the heart of this Bible is the good news of the good God who has sent Jesus, the perfect representation of God, the perfect realization of who we are made in God's image. Firstborn of all creation. This word, this term called firstborn, appears about 130 times in the Old Testament and is used very much of Israel. And the meaning of it could be supreme or first place. Or it could also mean first in a series. But when you read the context here, firstborn is used twice. In this first 
in, in the first place where it's used by Paul here, it probably carries the meaning of supreme or first place. Israel is God's firstborn, a special place in the Father's love. And you can read that from the, in the entire Old Testament. You can find it in a place like Exodus 4.22. So Jesus is prior to. He's not part of the creation. He's prior to creation and He is supreme over creation. Prior to and supreme over creation, don't try to understand it. Don't try to wrap your mind around it. Just believe it. Don't try to work out the mechanics of it. It's just the truth. And then Paul, did you notice, is going to use this term, this word, all, 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 again and again. If you read Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and you miss the word all, you are totally unconscious or you're totally distracted because it jumps out at you as the most repeated word. And Paul is meaning all spiritual powers, good or bad, thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, I think he lists four classes, from the highest authorities to the lowest spiritual authorities, were created by him, through him, for him. Do you know what Paul is saying? Regardless of location, you're talking about heaven, you're talking about earth, and you're talking about everything in between in the, in the first century world or in the 21st century world, as you ponder how the world came into being, as scientists explore the galaxies, right? as you ponder this, Regardless of location, heaven or earth, regardless of visibility, whether you can see things and say, is the seen things which are real, this is all real, or is the unseen things which are real, regardless of powers, from thrones to dominions or rulers or authorities, they are all subject to Jesus Christ. That's all you need to know, which means whatever season of life, whichever country, whatever culture, whatever age, Jesus is Lord. My mother was a committed Buddhist Taoist for 91, 93 years of her life because she so believed that in China, when there was a huge flood that swept through and that flood took her mother in that flood and she lost her mother from that point onwards. She believed that certain idols and gods saved her life and she hung on to them. So for years and years, me, Mona, and those who, who loved her here in, in our church and the family kept praying for mom to one day believe in Jesus. She finally believed. And she herself asked to be baptized and asked for her relatives to come witness her baptism. I knew she had really been converted. She was not shy. And she said, everything that belonged to my previous belief, my amulets, my talisman, I'm going to give them up to you. I was overwhelmed with that. So we baptized her here and soon after baptism, she had a fall and she cracked her hip. To crack your hip in your 90s is almost a death sentence. You can ask the orthopedic surgeons because you either go for an operation or you pray for a miracle to heal you. You know what's the first question she asked me after she was baptized and then had the fall that cracked her hip? Are my former gods angry with me? Because in the world that she lived in, she believed that different gods control different locations, different deities control different places. So we had a, 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 an idol at the front of our shop house. We had an idol who controlled, the, it was the kitchen god. If we ever went to the seaside, it was a god of the seaside. And here is Jesus, the supremacy of the, And what was the answer I gave to mom? I tried in my very best, in my broken dialect, in my broken teochew, 
do. Jesus is, Jesus is greater, more powerful. Don't have to worry. Jesus is everything. And she, I think, tried her best to believe that. She kept on praying. You know, miraculously, that cracked hip healed through time. Any doctor will tell you that's miraculous for a 93-year-old woman. I remember going to save a church member who got into trouble overseas. You ever tried to go and save somebody in a different judiciary overseas? Where you know the whole system is not clean, the judicial system all the way from the police investigations are not clean, and the judge is speaking and the life of one of your loved ones in church hangs in the balance as he stands in the dock. And here we are, Mona and myself, just, you know what? I kept praying through the whole thing. Week after week as we went to listen to the court case and how it was unraveling. I believe this with all my heart. Jesus is supreme. But I had to ask myself, as I listened to what the judge was saying, the human judge was saying in this country whose legal system was a little bit compromised to say the least, do I believe that Jesus is Lord over this judge? Lord over the whole legal system? And one day, my church member will be released. I kept praying that. Moment by moment through the entire court case. And miraculously, he got released. It's not good enough that we believe in this as dead doctrine. It's something that is real. Jesus is supreme Regardless of location, visibility, or powers, all are subject to Jesus in all countries, in all places, at all times. So, huge terms, but explain simply for you. Absolute comprehensibility, Jesus over all of creation. Nothing of creation is untouched by Him. And yet, the intimacy of Jesus, He was part of creating everything. He created every cell in your body. You know that? He created every organ. He knitted all together. As the psalmist says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So whether you're a scientist studying the vast galaxies, have some humility that Jesus is sovereign. Whether you're suffering, you know what a brain aneurysm is? One of our church staff died of brain aneurysm. It's a burst blood vessel. She was the healthiest on the pastoral team. She ate her veggies. She went to the gym. And one morning, I just got a call from the hospital. Uh, are you Pastor Chris? Is this your staff? This particular name? Do you know her? Yes, she's my staff. I have bad news for you. She just passed away this morning from a brain aneurysm. Do you believe that Jesus is even Lord of that? One of my good friends... Mother got rushed to hospital and he said, diverticulitis. I can't even pronounce that. I don't know how people go to medical school. This is that sure intelligence, not just of concepts, but of remembering words and how to spell them. He says, oh, all that means, my, my friend himself was a doctor, but he couldn't help his mum in this situation. He was a specialist in a different area. He said, this, this is not the length of this whole stomach and your colon. It's just so long and there was a leak to pinpoint that leak before she lost all that blood and would have been fatal takes a miracle. <laughs> takes a miracle. The absolute comprehensibility of God creating everything and yet the personal intimacy that every cell in your body, every organ in your body, 
that's so wonderfully put together is under the supremacy of Jesus. By Him, through Him, for Him. And it's Paul's way of saying, the entire universe and you and me who live in it, every being, every living being, we own we owe our creation, our beginning, our source. We owe our continuation that He's sustaining you from morning to night. So yes, different governments are sustaining us, different companies are sustaining us. Your savings could be sustaining you, but ultimately it is Christ who loves you, who is sustaining you. Agree? You better agree. And if this doesn't make sense, is this connected to this? How can it make sense of COVID-19 that's totally overturned my life? From creation to continuation to coherence, the whole universe and our whole being owes ourselves to Jesus. Created by Him, created through Him is the means and created for Him. I want to say to you, as I say to myself every day, these are three game-changing truths that nothing of your being is ever decoupled and ever disconnected from Jesus. You decouple your being, past, present and future from Jesus. You are nothing and you are headed nowhere apart from eternity without Him. And in Him, all things hold together. We are totally dependent and indebted to who? To Jesus. In this Him, this glorious Him, as creator and sustainer, that all creation and all history is moving towards Christ as the owner, the one who should be glorified. All things, do you believe this? That all things are moving to this ending. So we've just had the general elections here and there have been general elections being held in Korea and different parts of the world. Do you believe, as it says in Revelation that we just did, that Jesus is Alpha and Omega of Caesar at that time, of Domitian who started to get a little bit rough and a little bit uh, cruel, with the Christians at that time. He was not the first Roman emperor. It began with Emperor Nero, right? And do you believe that? That if you have an emperor, you have a ruler or authorities or a modern de uh, democracies where the government is a bit secular, a bit atheistic, a bit anti-Christians and anti-church and anti-church buildings and anti-God's uh, people, that you're going to suffer persecution and that persecution is under Jesus' supremacy? And sovereignty. That you have a, if you have a, on the other hand, a very good government that's very good at giving us all the things that we need. What we face is not persecution on en route to believing in Jesus, but seduction as the hugest barrier. And in the seven churches, the warning for God's people, right, in Revelation, falls into one of those three, four things that Satan will throw for us, throw at us. Either we might suffer. The opposition of the state will suffer and experience persecution. Or Babylon will be so attractive that we'll go down the route of idolatry and immorality that it is heaven here on earth. And that is as dangerous. Seduction is as dangerous as persecution. And God says to his people in Revelation 18, come out, come out of Babylon. So whichever party has come, into power in whichever country beginning with ours, we must believe that God is weaving all things so that salvation, salvation despite persecution, 
salvation despite seduction will still take place everywhere the gospel lands. And that's trusting in Jesus' supremacy. And he's the head of the body, the church. Jesus' complete rule over his body, his people. If Jesus completely rules you and me, Christopher Chia, before and after I came to know Christ, after I come to know Christ, I'm a now, I'm now a man under instruction. Whose instruction? The instruction of Jesus through his word, in his gospel, by his spirit. So the body's complete dependence on him and taking instructions from him that from morning to night, whatever I want to watch on my phone or look at on my phone, I have to ask Jesus, should I watch this? Should I read this? Whatever conversations I have, whatever human voices I'm listening to, should I listen to this? Or should I listen to you? That I hear your voice louder than any voice around us. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And now is the second part. The first part from verse 15 to verse 17, Paul's point was, if you didn't get it, Jesus is supreme in creation. Now from verse 18 to 20, Jesus is supreme in reconciliation, in redeeming us from Satan and our old life to a new beginning. So Jesus is not simply the beginning of things, creation, supreme over creation. He's the new beginning. Why? He's the founder of a new human race that might die in the flesh, but will be risen, resurrected to live with God for eternity when Jesus returns. So what are some special iconic buildings around the world? Eiffel Tower in Paris, in France, right? The, the Twin Towers in, in New York, or the Twin, is it Twin Towers in Malaysia, right? Different places have different things. But you know what's common in every country you go to? The cemeteries, the crematoriums, the burial grounds. You ever been to a country without cemeteries? You ever been to a country without crematoriums? It's called unreal. There is no such country. The kingdom that Jesus invites us to will have no crematoriums, and no burial grounds, and no cemeteries. Because it is the kingdom of the resurrected. The resurrected because they believe in the risen one the firstborn from among the dead. And by this firstborn, Paul means first in the series. He is the prototype of a whole new human race that will not die. That's why Christians, true Christians, die well. We die courageously. We die peacefully. Though we die, we die differently because Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And what he means here is, everything about God, everything about God, we said, he's the perfect representation of God. God's word, God's wisdom, God's spirit, God's qualities are all downloaded. And the address is Jesus, the man, 2,000 years ago. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, this whatever the location, making peace by the blood of his cross. Please take note of the two things I've just highlighted to you on this slide in the blue, 
Not that any other word is more important. Jesus is now supreme in reconciling all things in heaven and on earth. If I have to reconcile, if uh, there were some young kids here and the kids come up to us after children's church or Sunday school, say, Pastor Chris or Auntie Karen or Auntie Mona, who, uh, Auntie Marie who lead our children's church, can you help? Say, why? My parents are fighting from morning to night. Oh, so Uncle Chris or Auntie Mona will go and try and reconcile Daddy and Mummy. If there is no brokenness, there is no reconciliation. There's no need for reconciliation. So I do not know what you think of the world that we live in. Is it broken or is it whole? I do not know what you think of your life. Is it perfect or is it broken? I think we can all honestly agree that on the cosmic level, there has been disruption in heaven and disruption on earth. And that's why in Jesus' prayer, did you ever notice in the Lord's prayer, our Father right, in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus has come to do on the cross has cosmic implications. It affects heaven. It affects earth. It affects heaven where Satan and his invisible cronies who fight against God, stand against God and pervert men and women to follow him from moment to moment through fear or through seduction. Cosmic disruption of heaven and earth is now righted. It is epic. Jesus and his death on the cross is not just cosmic, it's epic. Where the rebellion of Satan spurring the rebellion of Chris, of you and me against God, is now settled and personal. The disunity in your heart, the rebellion in your heart, the brokenness in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our countries and our communities, is all been settled, all made right by one man, by one act, at one point in time. It all boils down to Jesus and the cross. By making peace by the blood of his cross, there is no one else and there is no other act that's going to write everything in one divine masterstroke. That's why Jesus is supreme. That's why there must be no day and no week in which you thank God for Jesus' sacrificial love and his sacrificial death on the cross for us. Because by that love and by that death, he reconciled all things to God. So by the blood of the cross, if there is any moment, if there is any day when the love and the sacrifice of Jesus means less to you, you are on dangerous ground. And Paul is saying, Jesus and the cross is as big as that. Jesus and the cross is as important as that in your life. Jesus and the cross is as purposeful as that. So you must let nothing and no one become bigger and larger than your life. So last week I spoke about how the gospel came from Western missionaries in England, in Britain, from Scotland to our shores, financed by the English believers through English missionaries and Scottish missionaries coming here, giving their money to people and places, to church buildings and hardware and schools and hospitals that many of them in their land never saw. And I gave that to you as an example of how we must step forward because God has given us this place called a gazetted place of worship at, at Bukit Bato, at, at Tenga. Wherever He's given to us, we go forth 
And we know we need the hardware to do the software work of proclaiming Christ and making disciples and housing them from children to adults. You mustn't let anyone or anything loom larger than Jesus. When the missionaries came here, they faced three unconquerable, insurmountable barriers. One, opium addiction that struck one quarter to one third of every Chinese migrant who was here. One quarter to one third, you'll find them just useless men supposed to earn money to send it back to China. But opium was sold by the British right? and it was a cruel part of the, the story, opening Hong Kong, opening China, the southern cities. Very sad story. And when it came in, the second scourge was secret societies control 100% of the Chinese population here. 60% were members, 40% had to pay extortion money. And the next thing was the abuse of children, the abuse of women specifically. For in many of our cultures, we saw daughters as useless and some drowned them in infanticide at birth. How do you overcome these things? How do you say that no one and nothing is larger than Jesus? How did the missionaries arrive in India and say to them that the burning of widows' life with their husbands was abhorrent? How do you do that? We believe that Jesus and his blood and his resurrection is as big as that, as important as that, as purposeful as that, as culture-conquering as that. And we must believe that it is the same, the same Lord and the same cross and the same blood that will cure our social and spiritual scourges of the 21st century. You believe that? Or else you're just listening to this in a vacuum. Because if you don't believe that it is Jesus and His blood that can stop you from the pornography that is making you a vegetable, that, stopping, that can stop you from your endless addicted gaming or your endless petty quarrelling with a the spouse, then you haven't read Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. So Christ and the creation of all things, Christ and the reconciliation of all things, a glorious hymn to the glorious Christ. Yes. So what's the implication for you and me? Everything. And you, you Gentiles, you Gentiles in the city of Colossae, you were once alienated from God. You were once hostile in your mind towards God. You were once doing evil deeds. You, and now I've just turned the corner with you, and now you, whoever you are, whatever age, as you tune in to listen to this, you know, before you came to know Christ, before and after Christ, before you came to know Christ, before I came to know Christ, in God's eyes, in God's views, alienated. Separated from God and His Word and His will for living. Separated from your true identity, your true anthropology. Who are you? Why are you here? Why do you live from morning to night? Why do you live from Monday to, to Sunday? Why do you live for 70 years? Why? Once you cut God off as creator, once you cut Jesus off as creator, once you cut Jesus off as reconciler, you are addicted to self-idolatry. You're hostile to God and the hostility to God, you mustn't think, actually, it's just, no, no, I don't hate God. I don't hate God's will. I don't hate God's word. I'm just apathetic. Lord. I'm indifferent. I, I'm at the moment in our phrase here in Singapore, a dialect phrase, well, I'm just bought up, because I bought up because I bought time. I got no time because I'm fighting COVID from morning to night. 
you think you're just merely apathetic? Merely indifferent? Or you are aggressively hostile towards God? Your father and mother comes in to say, stop gaming. You merely apathetic? Or you aggressive? Your husband and wife says, you've been doing too much of that. You merely apathetic? Or you aggressively, violently defend yourself? They are the moment-by-moment examples of what God says to us. You are alienated. I'm alienated. I'm hostile in my mind. And doing evil deeds surely from idolatry to immorality. Addicted to idolatry, addicted to self-immorality. And now he has reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach. So Christ is supreme. And by this, no one can bring you closer to God. No one can make you more right with God. I think quite obviously, Paul, when he preaches this, you know, he's wearing spiritual bifocal lenses. So most people above 50 or 60, like myself, I got bifocals, right? So short, short-sightedness, long-sightedness, right? So one set of lenses, he's getting us to look far, look high at Jesus. But as he looks high at Jesus, supremacy of Jesus, he's saying, look, there are some people around you who are saying, do not handle, do not touch, do not... There are some people saying something about the law, about the worship of angels. So the bifocals, unless you see Jesus clearly, you won't see the danger that's coming to disconnect you from him. To make it to be about churchianity, not Christianity, not focus on Christ, but focus on what we do from week to week, which sometimes may have nothing to do with Christ. No increasing faith, no increasing love, no increasing hope in heaven. No increasing burden for evangelism. Gospel on the move for others. Now, God has acted in Christ to reconcile you. Body of flesh, He reconciled you because Jesus became a man. He died a true death on the cross. He suffered truly. He took the wrath of God. And the goal of this is to present you holy and blameless before God. If you call yourself a Christian and you don't experience a before and after Christ came into your life, you must really take some time before the reopening happens big time to examine whether you're truly a believer in Christ, in the way you think, in the way you live. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So, Paul is saying, you begin with Christ, you continue with Christ, you end with Christ. Please do not begin with Christ, continue with ministry, die with good works. And some of us unconsciously begin with, oh, it was so good when Jesus saved me, right? When I was in children's church, in boys' brigade, in youth fellowship, it was so good when God saved me 25 years ago, but now I'm caught up in my ministry. I'm a pastor, I'm an elder, I'm a deacon, I'm a DG leader. I lead missions, I do evangelism. And so you're going to stand before God and say, I'm getting in because of my ministry? You're getting in because of your years of ministry? No, friends. You're not getting in because you kept the law. You're not getting in because you had some wonderful experience. You're not getting in because of anything you do. You and me are getting in. We begin with Christ. We continue with Christ. We end with Christ. This is stable and steadfast in Christ. Pursue gospel stability. Watch the Jesus shifts. Watch the gospel shifts. 
And now we must hurtle to the end. This is Jesus' supremacy and not just the Gentiles, but Paul. And now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking. Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. I can only but summarize here. Paul rejoices in his suffering. Rejoices in his suffering? He's a very weird person on behalf of the church. Rejoices in suffering under Christ on behalf of the church? By Christ's suffering, it doesn't mean Christ's suffering on the cross was incomplete. Surely there's no such meaning in the entire Bible, beginning with Paul who understood this because he met the risen Jesus on the Damascus road. But Christ continues, but Christ continues to suffer through his church. How? Through Paul the Apostle and his ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. So for Paul specifically and personally, in that sense, he's saying, when you look at me, don't, don't think suffering, suffering apostle must be fake apostle. No, suffering apostle. In fact, the more I suffer, the less it is for you. It's how the risen Jesus is connected to his earthly church. The heavenly Jesus is connected to his earthly church. How? By his spirit, through the gospel, preached by Christ who suffers. And so, in all this fullness, and what's the mystery? The mystery is the secret now made known. Gentiles will be included in the gospel. Paul, from his Jewish background, thought, God had only come to save one nation because he gave the promises to one nation. He was mistaken. It was to one nation and to be given to all nations. And so we come to the end. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, see the word all, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I told, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works in me. What is Paul saying as he comes to this glorious chapter, the end of this glorious chapter, the end of this glorious hymn, of his own experience of the risen Lord Jesus, the glorious Lord Jesus? He says the true goal of ministry, we don't just do ministry from day to day, week to week for nothing. It's actually maturity in ourselves and the people that God leads us to shepherd the gospel. And maturity is stability, stable in your faith in Christ, stable in your love for each other, growing, stable in your hope in heaven. And on the move, on the move, sharing Christ from Ad Adam Road to Bishan to Bukit Batu, from Singapore to, to Southeast Asia, to Malaysia, to Indonesia, to Thailand, to the Philippines, always on the move. Christ is never given to us for complacency. Christ is given to us for the glory of God. And so this, I struggle. The big question as we come to an end is what does the new normal look like after COVID-19? You know what? You should ask God's question. What does Jesus want you to look like after he's given you four months, five months of a shutdown, shut-in of a circuit breaker? Spiritual, social, relational, in your heart, in your home? Is there any difference before and after COVID under Christ? What does Jesus want you to look like after this? Until we look at Jesus' supremacy in all things, it's not so much what does Jesus want us to look like first, unless we look at Jesus in all his supremacy, supreme in creation, supreme in reconciliation, how cosmic he is, how epic he is, how personal in my life, 
How victorious he can transfer me from the dominion of darkness, from hostility to God, to submission to God. How big and purposeful. If we don't get this right, it'll be the same old normal. Alienated, hostile, addicted to self. And so sort out your view today. You know, the four kids are highlighted, they are art. You were sorting out your feelings, sorting out your thoughts about COVID-19. I think we should sort out your view and my view of Jesus from Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20 and ask the question, is Jesus part of your life? If you think Jesus is part of your life, that's a heresy because you are still the center of the universe. You are supreme. He is the support system. You are the Lord. He's your domestic helper. Whatever problem you cannot solve, Jesus. He is supreme. Please get it right. The right understanding of the gospel and true salvation is you and me are part of Jesus' glorious life and glorious work. And that is why we must take part in Him. And you won't solve this, friends, unless you look Him in the eye. So I got a card here, various cards, a stream of cards. And Chris, we met you. We've been truly ministered and blessed by the teaching and preaching of God's Word in your PC for 20 years now. The chance meeting of you at a conference that slowly led us to hear this church. And this is written by a couple whose life is so changed that we went through our main upgrading program right, in 2008. They gave a huge chunk of their savings upon retirement to us. They also went through a time in which their child forgot them, forsook them, didn't look after them. And they prayed through that time as they sat in our church, waiting for the day that God would speak and bring about reconciliation. They gave their life to Jesus and Jesus but slowly but surely brought reconciliation in their hearts, in their homes. That's what we are talking about. Have you sorted this out? I pray you do. Let's go to God in prayer. Wherever you are, a sacred moment, a humble moment of acknowledging God's gracious word, God's glorious Son in our lives. Here we are, going through a pandemic. We are asking, what's the meaning of this? And we all want to sort out our views of this pandemic and this COVID-19. We're all asking questions of how it would look like after this. By your word and your spirit, turn us to your son to ask the more important question of how we would look after this and how we would change and there will be no change in our hearts unless you grant us spiritual eyes to behold that Jesus is supreme in creation, supreme in reconciliation. He's as big as that. He's as important as that. He's as purposeful as that. And everything in our life to revolve around Jesus. And moment by moment, incident by incident, experience by experience, past, present and future, to be submitted to Jesus. And only then, will we experience the greatness 
of the supremacy of Jesus and go forth to be on the move for him, for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.